Áspera Podcast. Off for the final launch of Endeavor, expanding our knowledge, expanding our lives in space. Hello, I'm Ino. And I'm Themos. Welcome to the third episode of the Aspera podcast for the newsletter of May 2011. 16th of May 2011, the Endeavour Space Shuttle took off for its very last trip to space and it brought in its payload bay the AMS experiment, a huge particle detector very much like those of the LHC at CERN. Physicists are like Chinese philosophers sometimes in their antimatter hunt. Matter and antimatter are indeed like yin and yang. They are quite the same but have opposite charges. When the Big Bang occurred 13.7 billion years ago, it should have produced equal amounts of yin and yang, equal amounts of matter and antimatter particles. This is similar to what uh, our accelerators produce today. For every particle, we observe also its own antiparticle. However, in the universe, uh, on a very large scale today, we only see matter particles around us and it's as if the antimatter, antimatter particles have disappeared. So there is a big question, a mystery, why don't we see any antimatter particles in the universe today? This is the mystery that Nobel laureate Professor Ting and the International AMS Collaboration are addressing. But what is AMS and where did it all start? AMS stands from Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer. It was proposed in 1995 by uh, the MIT particle physicist Samuel Ting, not long after the cancellation of the superconducting supercollider. The first prototype of uh, AMS, designated by the name AMS-1, was a simplified version of the detector which used the same magnet but uh, different detecting instruments and it was flown Uh, using the Space Shuttle Discovery in June of 1998. This was coincidentally the last shuttle mission for the Mir space station. So for the 600 scientists of the AMS collaboration, it is only now that the real fun begins. On the 16th of May 2011, Endeavour took off from Florida with destination the International Space Station. On Thursday, May 19th, today that is that we are recording the podcast, AMS-2 will finally be transferred to the ISS and be activated. But before Themos explains what will the detector do up there, let me give you some figures. So AMS weighs 8,500 kilograms. It has a volume of 64 cubic meters. Its mission is supposed to last throughout the lifetime of the International Space Station until 2020 at least and it will not return back to Earth. Its construction took 11 years from 1999 to 2010, and it costed approximately $2 billion, so approximately 1.5 billion euros. So what is the purpose of uh, AMS in space? Uh, There are a number of uh, applications. Uh, The first and foremost is to track uh, cosmic rays which originate, originate from the various corners of the universe. 
using the magnet, which is basically a, a, a particle detector. The only difference compared to detectors in Earth is that it's being uh, flown to space, so it has a cleaner signal. And uh, it will measure with very high precision the cosmic ray spectrum. Cosmic rays are uh, charged particles that travel through the universe and they can be very, very energetic. And they've been a mystery, it's been a mystery how exactly they are produced and where they come from. It is expected that they are produced in all kinds of cosmic bodies, especially the most violent, violent of them, such as supernova remnants. These are precisely suspected to be very powerful natural accelerators themselves, actually even more powerful than any accelerator uh, we can build here on Earth. Cosmic rays were discovered in 1912 by Victor Hess, who carried three enhanced accuracy Wolf electrometers built in 1911 to an altitude of 5,300 meters in a free balloon flight. So it has been almost a century after their discovery, and there is still so much to learn about them. That is why we need AMS. So the AMS is a large magnetic spectrometer. This simply means that uh, it has a big magnetic field. Uh, for the case of IMS, the value of the field is uh, uh, 0.15 Tesla. And when charged particles uh, propagate through that field, then they bend. And depending on the curvature or the amount of bending, uh, we can detect the energy of the, particle, of the particles. And at the same time, we can record their originating direction. Can we do that on Earth? Why does it have to be in space? So, this is also what uh, conventional detectors do on the accelerators here on Earth. However, for detecting cosmic rays, uh, they are not very accurate because uh, the cosmic rays interact with uh, particles in the atmosphere and they generate secondary particles. But by putting a detector like that in space, we can measure Uh, all kinds of cosmic rays directly without being affected uh, from the uh, Earth's atmosphere. So it's basically what the Hubble did for ground-based telescopes, uh, the AMS will do for ground-based detectors. So the key point here is the magnet, uh, because the strength of the magnet uh, determines uh, how detailed uh, we can distinguish the particles together. And uh, originally it was proposed to use a superconducting magnet, uh, which would have a value of uh, 0.87 Tesla. However, super superconducting magnets uh, need to be cooled down by liquid helium. And the amount of liquid helium that could be uh, flown into space with the detector would last only for three years of, co of data collection. But this has to last until the end of the... Well, well, until 2012, 20 well, at least. Well, yeah, as soon as the International Space Station got extended until the end of the decade, uh, it was decided that it would be much better to use a conventional magnet and collect uh, more amount of data over a longer period of time. So, the, the huge strength of AMS is that it increases uh, sensitivity in its measurements by three uh, orders of magnitude compared to any previous experiments. With such precision, it will provide with, with unprecedented accuracy the composition of the cosmic ray spectrum, 
and find either an explanation for the disappearance of Antimanter or else proof of its existence hidden away in a remote corner of the universe. The observation of just one antihelium nucleus could provide evidence for the existence of a large amount of antimatter somewhere in the universe. But the yin-yang concept is not only an antimatter issue. Themos, in which other area could AMS contribute to? Our universe is also visible and invisible, bright and dark. And of course we are talking about dark matter. As we've also mentioned in the in previous podcasts, only 4% of the matter of, of the whole universe is conventional matter, ordinary matter that, that, that we can see and measure with our instruments. 23% of the universe consists of dark matter, which has gravitational effects that we can measure, but we have not discovered any particles uh, yet and 73% of the universe is dark energy. One potential dark matter particle is the neutralino. This is a hypothetical particle that is predicted by supersymmetry. So if neutralinos do exist, they could interact with each other and thus producing excesses of charged or neutral particles. And so AMS should be able to record such an anomaly in the overall cosmic ray spectrum. So supersymmetry theory predicts that for every ordinary matter particle there is a hypothetical other particle and yeah, now we're the, the, looking for them. A supersymmetric uh, particle. And this is just a theory so far. And uh, some particles have been hypothesized. And <clears throat> physicists think it would be very nice if supersymmetric particles are found to be dark matter particles. Then these two the experiment and the simulation and the theoretical side would nicely fit together. So AMS is looking at antimatter and dark matter through analyzing the cosmic ray spectrum with the greatest precision th- through space. So particle physics, astroparticle physics and cosmology are certainly at a key moment in their history as AMS is entering into the race. That is why the collaboration behind it is so large. 16 countries, 3 continents, 56 institutions and 600 physicists. In Europe, the countries that participate are Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Portugal, Spain and Switzerland. Contributing also are the European Space Agencies, the Italian Space Agency, the German Aerospace Center, the European Space Agency and the European Center for Nuclear Research CERN. And before we finish, let me just mention here that I really like this uh, topic we do today because you often hear in the news about shuttle launches and that they carry some kind of scientific uh, experiments and instruments on the space station, but uh, you don't see very often exactly the details of what kind of experiments they actually do up there. So this is, I think, a very nice example of the uh, science that can be produced in space. Which now means that the whole world is going to wait for the results to yep. find out in, soon. In, in five or ten years. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe. and You can find more information on the podcast and on the issues we talk about here on the Aspera website, which is www.aspera-eu.org. So please subscribe to us through iTunes as well and see you next month. Thank you. Bye-bye.